Welcome to the Mere and Powerful Podcast, where we believe in going far by going together. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Empowerful Podcast. I'm your co-host, Brian Pape, and today I have a special co-host, the wonderful and delightful, super talented Mandy Lozano, who happens to be uh, at Mir as our Chief Strategy Marketing Officer and also knows our guest from her past life at Starbucks. So we sat down with Mark Farrell, who is an incredible human being, uh, who has uh, had a storied career and, and really impressive life. Uh, and also started a rum company called 10 to 1. And we've partnered with them on the Customer platform, but uh, have known Mark from our time at Starbucks. And, and Mandy, you certainly knew him at your time at Starbucks. I did. It was delightful to be uh, in the same virtual room with him again. I, I loved having him as a colleague at Starbucks. And it was really wonderful to reflect on the lessons that we both learned working for you know one of the, one of the world's best known companies who is known for so much more than just coffee. Yes, their their people and their values and uh, kind of their entrepreneurial thinking. Yeah, uh, we touched base on so much in this episode, so many good nuggets. We we were joking that we should have put up a paywall for this because there's so much good there from Mark's uh, brain So you're welcome, knowledge. guys. Yeah, yeah. But it's free for you. <laughs> yeah, um, for you. Just today. We, we touch on a, a lot of stuff, but Mark is so impressive. He grew up in Trinidad and Tobago. I'm saying that right, Tobago. You are. Yes. Uh, which, fun fun fact, TTO is the call sign for Trinidad and Tobago, right? It is. And which, it's one yeah. of the 10 countries there in the Caribbean, which ah, I'll tell you a little bit more about. 10 to 1. All the so many nuances symbolism. there. So yep. many layers. We love He's we a love good marketer. Layers. He's a great marketer. We love layers. Uh, fun fact, he went to MIT at age 16, which is mind-blowing. His twin sister went to Cambridge at 17. So, so very, very intelligent, but also super humble. Uh, lots of empathy. We talk about that a lot. Um, and just kind of the beauty and the blend and seeing the world in 3D and it's not black and white, it's very gray. And how do you play in that? So anyway, there are a lot of great nuggets in here. Uh, what else, Mandy? What else did we, what else did you like about the combo? I think it was really cool to talk about uh, also how Mark has played his, you know, more more formal education that, you know, has a lot of really great names attached to it, like Harvard and Cambridge and MIT into this amazing approach of humility with entrepreneurial companies and larger companies. And it just goes to show that, you know, MBAs like myself, <laughs> we can adapt and we don't yes. necessarily have to be in the world's biggest companies to be successful. And there's a great skill set there. And it was really cool to hear how he has applied that. Absolutely. So we hope you enjoy this conversation as much as we did. We had a blast and we hope that you get some good nuggets out of this conversation. So listen in and we hope you enjoy yeah awesome enjoy folks thanks hey mark welcome to the podcast good to have you on great to be here man thanks so much for having me yeah we have uh we have two new guests you are our guest and then mandy who is our chief strategy and marketing officer is subbing in for beck who is my wife and co-founder uh she is doing an amazing job taking care of the kids today and what's great is you two already know each other so this will be i think it's gonna be a fun conversation yeah i'm really excited great to see you mark Great to see you, Mandy. Always good to chat. Uh, yeah. So, I mean, let's jump right into all the fun things about life and Starbucks and rum and uh, you know all the all the all the background things. Um, where are you right now, though? Like, are you in Seattle? I can't remember where you are. East Coast, West Coast? No, East East Coast. So, since leaving Starbucks, I actually moved back to uh, moved back to New York, January 2019. So been back for about a year and a half. I mean, I think for everybody, you know, time was stopped a little bit in the last six months. <laughs> hard, to, hard to make heads and tails and remember exactly how long you've been anywhere. But yeah, moved back to New York last January, um, uh, focused on launching the brand here in New York. And so, yes, right now I'm talking to you from downtown Manhattan. I live uh, near to Asta Place, uh, which is a great place to call home. Nice. How, how is New York? I mean, it's a little, little rocky there for a couple of months, but how, how, how are things right now? 
Yeah, man, it's been quite the experience, you know. Um, um, you know, I'd say right now, it's it's beginning to sort of show some some signs of life. You know, if you kind of wander around Greenwich Ave, you know, West Village, East Village, etc., you're seeing pockets of people outside. You know, um, all the restaurants are full, at least outside, right? We're, we're still doing only outdoor dining, so that kind of limits the, the capacity. But um, the streets don't feel like they're, they're desolate and abandoned at this point anymore. Um, you get a little bit of good energy coming back. So September has always been my favorite month in New mm-hmm. York. You kind of get that, that that new school year energy, which is yeah. always really dope. So good to have a little bit of that back in the city right now. And hopefully, knock on wood, things continue to progress that way a little bit. Yeah, yeah. That's No, it's good to hear. It's good to hear you're doing well. Uh, yeah, Seattle's, Seattle's a little... Mm-hmm. kind of touch and go yeah. there's a lot of smoke right now so we're uh yeah. people are wearing Yo. masks just to like not filter in the virus but also not the smoky air so yeah, <laughs> dude real. can i tell you something it's yeah. like it's like no i mean i've been seeing some of the pictures from up and down the west coast obviously seattle oregon california and I, like i don't think there's any hollywood director <laughs> who could make a more apocalyptic looking sky exactly. if they tried <laughs> totally. i mean like some of this stuff is just it's insane you know yeah. um I mean, I know we're going to talk about other things here, but, you know, you just have to ask yourself, like, like, like what more do we need in terms of like, like, like what other signs do we need quite literally from the sky right. <laughs> that tell us that something has to be done about, right. you know, you know, environment, climate, all of yeah. those things. Right. I mean, it's yeah. a bit of a, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, so science, many, anyways. the science is right, isn't it? Science, science yeah, you don't know, lie. You know, you know, listen, science is always right, you know, but you know, and that's a science <laughs> is, a, is, a, is a work in progress and we understand that. But there are a couple of things that science is pretty clear about. And I think this yeah. is one of them, Absolutely. you know, and I think we should put this squarely in the non-controversial yes. camp for a second. Yes. Yeah. AQ, AQI is a real thing. <laughs> uh well yeah it's it's uh it's interesting in seattle it's getting a little better hopefully it rains brings some of it out what's interesting is on the day that san francisco turned orange the air quality was actually fairly decent it was the next day when it so like whatever happened mm-hmm. with like the sun and the cloud and the smog mm-hmm. or you know the smoke and then the next day was where it just went to like 500 um and it was not good but on to more exciting conversations you have an incredible uh, rap sheet here that we're looking at of you know your career, your experience. Um, I'm I'm really excited to jump in and talk about so many things. One of them is your time at Starbucks, which Mandy has a lot of uh, insight into because you two work together. Um, Don't tell her, Mandy. Don't tell her. <laughs> Let's hear all the things. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark. Don't so tell, tell us about your time at Starbucks, and I can you know, interspersed with what, what I, I had the pleasure of working with Mark quite a bit and it was awesome. And, uh, he brought just a wonderful, wonderful vibe to the company and, uh, really did some really great things when he was there. So yeah. Oh, and you were the that. youngest VP of Starbucks, right? Is that, that's, that's what it says. Is that the, the word sheet, on the street? Right? That's yeah. what it says. It says it right there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, I, yeah, I mean, yeah, yeah. even backing up a little bit before that you attend, this is, this is mind blowing. This is where I'm like, oh my gosh, we got a legend on the screen here. <laughs> you attended MIT at age 16. How does, I mean, obviously you're brilliant, but like, how does that happen? <laughs> like, like, tell us how that happens. Like, <laughs> I'll tell you what, it's, it's a combination of these glasses and the accent. It takes you, it takes you places, it takes you man. Far. It takes you places. Yeah. People don't actually probe and ask any other questions. They're like, all right, that guy probably legit. Let's just give him a shot. Yeah. You know? Yeah. 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 <laughs> Um, yeah, no, the, yeah, the MIT, the MIT at 16 thing makes people kind of raise an eyebrow a little bit, especially, you know, I mean, I, I, I grew up in Trinidad and Tobago. It wasn't like I grew up, you know, in Boston, Massachusetts, just right, looking at right. MIT down the street. Um, 
Dude, that's that's one hundred percent my parents. Like, like mm. there's no there's no credit to be taken, no pat on the back for me. Um, I have a twin sister as well. Uh, she's a Cambridge educated neurologist. Uh, she's actually the smart super twin. casual. You know, no she's super deal. casual. <laughs> she, she's she's the smart twin, right? But um, the force is no, strong they, they, with your family. Yeah. What's that? The, the force is strong with your family. The force is all right. The force yeah. is all right. Yeah. You know? um, but no, I think like it's just you know they they from a very from a very early age. You know, I think just super encouraging, um, built a lot of ambition in us and really kind of the sense that, you know, you go out and you can achieve whatever you set your mind to quite, quite literally, not mm-hmm. in a super cliche way. Um, um, I was lucky enough to kind of, you know, I guess kind of get started pretty early in school. I skipped a couple of grades, just kept on competing as best as I could. And then, yeah, had a chance to do the, had a chance to do the, had a chance to do the MIT thing. You know, there's not really any other explanation I can offer besides that, right? So, um, like most was, people finish high school at 18 in the U.S. Was is is that similar in Trinidad? Like 18 is kind of like where you finish. Yeah, 18 or 19. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So you just sped that up a few years, and you're like, I'm I'm done now. What? Yeah. I'll just now, it. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Now, now let me just go to what is this, what is this MIT place? Is, like, yeah. is, this, is this school supposed to be hard or like what is it? Yeah, yeah. I'm into technology. Um, so what's yeah. I'm curious, like what are specific examples that your parents like what did you observe with your parents as far as, you know, knowing that you could like set your mind to something and, and really pursue something or, or you know, do you have any specific examples where you're like, oh, I remember X, Y, or Z with, you know, my mom or my dad really coaching me or, or showing me the way. Because your dad was an econo- uh, was a economics professor or uh yeah, he's, he's, an but he's an economist. He, okay. he, you know, my, 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 dad was, my dad is an economist by trade. He's a PhD economist. He ran our central bank when I was, when I was younger, um, moved, to, moved into the private sector. And then um, once he retired, actually went to law school at 60. So now he's a lawyer slash mediator. Um, Too bad nobody's that, ambitious you know, in your family, Mark. I'm really that? sorry that no one is ambitious in your family. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. Really yeah. It's, a it's a real shame. It's a real shame. It's a real shame. No one cares about doing anything, you know? Yeah. My, um, my mom is a psychologist by training. She um, she uh, entered the world of public relations early on, but she left her corporate um, gig when we were about nine years old, started her own PR consulting um, firm, public relations firm, still up and running and successful in Trinidad today, 27 years later. So, you know, honestly, a lot of it was by, by observation and by osmosis, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of you spend a lot, and by the way, my extended family, aunts and uncles, similarly minded, right? Like, like, like a lot of it by osmosis. You have a chance to kind of see up close how other people, um, you know, approach their daily lives and how they think about sort of building a career and and how they're willing to kind of run through walls. And I think you just kind of take on some of that. I, I think probably the biggest and maybe the most critical lesson that was imparted to me though was really this idea of like standing on someone else's shoulders in a very real and meaningful way. You know, if I if I looked at my, um, so I, both my grandfathers had unfortunately um, passed away long before I was born, but I, I knew my grandmothers um, both extremely well, incredible ladies. And if you sort of look at kind of where they had started in life and um, what they had sacrificed so that all of their kids, you know, my dad is one of seven with like four half siblings. My wow. mom is also one of seven. But look at what they had sacrificed to kind of give their kids a chance at an education and give them a chance to be successful. You then sort of turn around and understand that, like, at least at least the way that I saw it, my sister and I almost had this obligation to like to to to, to do better and do more. Not mm-hmm. in a not in a competitive way in the slightest, right? But actually because you've been given all the opportunities and all the love and all the encouragement. So take what they've done and try to go multiply it, right? Go right. out into the world and sort of make the best effort that you can. And that to me is probably the most the most resonant lesson, I think, 
um, that I took from them in my early life and I still try to apply it today. Incredible. I love, I love that, uh, not only they push you, but then you like grasp that and just, and, and your sister, your twin sister did the, did the, the similar things. Now, now did she go to school, uh, several years earlier as well? Like, was she trying to keep up with you? She, yeah, she, well, she, she, uh, we were one year apart in school, but yeah, she went at 17 to, to Cambridge in the UK. Um, you know, uh, she, anything sort of like biology, chemistry, science related, she, she wasn't as incredible at, and, um, yeah, she, she knew exactly what she wanted to be when we were kids. When we were 10 years old, she said she was going to go to Cambridge, go to Trinity college, um, become a doctor and then become a neurosurgeon. She missed a tiny bit because she became a neurologist instead of a neurosurgeon. But other than that, she kind of knew what she knew what was happening. You know, so. <laughs> Uh-huh. That's incredible. Now, was it, was it, was it, uh, were you too competitive? Like when you were, when you were 16, you got into MIT, you're like, Hey sis, uh, you got to catch up or was it more like complimentary or what was that relationship like? Yeah. You know, I mean, I mean, all, all, all siblings are competitive on some level, you know, I sure. always tell people that like be, you know, having a twin sister is more like having a sibling who's the same age as you rather mm. than having like a, like a twin, you know what I mean? Like right. where you're, there's somebody who's almost a carbon copy of you running around in the world, right? Like we, we, we never played sports together. You know, I'm a, I was like a, I was like a run through walls, basketball, cricket, football kind of a guy. She's, you know, ballerina, ballerina, extraordinaire, piano lessons, like, you know, doing more of that stuff. So, um, Trinidad high schools are actually also generally all male or all female. So we actually weren't even at the same high school. They were, they were mm. across the street from each other. So in our day-to-day lives, there wasn't actually a lot of, too many avenues for competition in that sense. I think it was always much more about, again, sort of like what we are doing as, as you know, kind of in, in the context of our broader family and where you're trying to go and what you're trying to accomplish. Nice. So you go, so you head off at the ripe old age of 16 to Boston. Yeah. Hey, yep. I, think I, had, I think I had two. I think I had two strands of facial hair. Then, <laughs> it's looking. Good. It's looking good now. Yeah, <laughs> says, yeah the, the the beard's coming in finally. Finally. Yeah, yeah, yeah. COVID times for beards for sure. The um, <laughs> right. So, did you spend like the normal four years at MIT, or were you like, nah, I'm gonna do this in like two, three years, or? <laughs> <laughs> at, at that point, I decided I'd kind of take my time. You know, I spent um I spent three years at MIT, and I spent one year actually at Cambridge uh, in the UK. So I did I did my junior year abroad. Um, my mom is a big, you know, a lot of family background here, but my mom's a big Anglophile and, you know, her dream was always for her, her twins to go to Cambridge together. I had sort of messed that up when I decided to go to MIT instead of Cambridge. Um, but <laughs> I rectified it later on, went to Cambridge for my junior year abroad. And then I went back to Cambridge for a master's. So okay. once I finished my chemical engineering degree, went back to Cambridge, did public policy there, which really was just a, a boondoggle for a, for a year to go hang out and play some basketball, but you know, it worked out, worked out pretty well. I think it worked out. Oh, oh so casual. Yeah, uh, you know, Mark, I love that you're just here. like, boom, 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 chemical engineer. What did you get your master's in? Uh, technology policy, basically public policy, but relates to the world of science and science and enterprise. Okay. And then from there you went to Bain. From there I went to Bain. Okay. And you were, what, oh. uh, what, what sort of things did you work on in the, in the consulting world of the Bains? So, you know, um, all, all con- so when you, when you join Bain as an associate out of undergrad, you typically don't specialize. So you kind of just go where you get sent. To, to, yeah. It's really the way the system works. By some combination of luck and a little bit of maneuvering, I ended up being lucky enough to work primarily on consumer, which has always been my passion, right? Mm. And that actually will come back to the, it, it, it sort of ties into the Starbucks and the 10 to 1 stuff later on. But um, I did a lot of consumer retail and CPG during my early days at Bain. 
um did the glasses help like did you put the glasses that? did that help did the glasses help you know oh, like get dude, that listen listen i've had these glasses since <laughs> i was 10 years old yes. right and, and i was tell people i'm like listen i'm gonna take credit for these glasses because i had to endure the tough times remember when you're 10 years old oh, 25 man. years ago it does ago, not go well there's nothing there's yeah. nothing amazing about glasses now i see all these dudes walking around they're rocking their glasses with no prescription, sometimes no lenses, <laughs> trying to hit you with all this like nerd chic bullshit. Like, I'm like, listen, you guys didn't pay dues. Get to the back of the line. So yes, yes, Brian, the glasses have it. been with me every step along the way. I love it. I didn't pick up on the glasses thing until I was like 25, 26. And we can touch <laughs> on this when you're when you get to Starbucks, but like I feel like nobody took me seriously when I started Mir at, at 24. And so I was like, ah, oh, I'm going to wear glasses and people will think I am older. And I feel like it kind of works. So I, I pick, I'm picking up what you put in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Makes a difference. Makes a difference. Uh, so, all right. So you're doing CPG at Bain. You're learning a ton. Uh, what, what, do you remember some of your, your uh, best moments there at, at Bain of kind of like unlocks or, or how you viewed CPG? Listen, I left, I left, I left Bain 13 years ago, almost, almost exactly 13 years ago. And I tell people like, I, I still bleed Bain Red, right? Um, I'm super loyal to that company and that culture. It taught me an incredible amount. And I think um, there's certainly, you know, we talk about the Bain toolkit, right? Those are the basic analytical skills and all of that stuff that, you know, I think you, you put together when you're a young associate. And certainly that makes a massive difference. Actually, in particular, when you're running a startup, right? And, 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 and you'll know this as well, right, Brian? Like, like, being the CEO, quote unquote, of a startup is not like being the CEO of, of General Motors, right? It's <laughs> very uh, different. It's very different. You, gotta, you have to be able to roll up your sleeves and do m most, sometimes all of the work yourself. And so, you know, even today when I'm sitting down to think about how do I process the problem? How do I want to go and analyze our numbers or dig into sort of like trends? I can actually roll up my sleeves and do it myself because I did that job mm. 15 years ago at, at Bain. So there's certainly some like, core skill set things that, 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 that it, that it um, begot. Um, there are certainly a lot of ways of kind of framing thinking for sure, breaking down a problem, developing a narrative, communicating a point of view. I talk to my team a lot about this idea of answer first, right? Like that was a main thing. You, you, you give the answer and then you sort of give the rationale behind it. So there's a lot in my like sort of professional grounding that I think came from Bain, but, but maybe of equal or greater importance than any of those things. It's actually, you've heard me reference like bleeding being red and like referencing the culture. That piece was so, so critical. Like it, I think it was my first window. It's my first job out of college. My first window into what a really strong culture looked like and more importantly felt like. And when you have that feeling, you carry it with you always, right? That you always will kind of reference it and go back to it and say, holy shit, like if I ever had a chance to create my own company or like galvanize a group of people around me, right? Maybe it's even in a corporate setting like a Starbucks, right? But, 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 but um, how, would I, how would I go about building a similar sort of energy and aura and resonance and all of those things? And I think Bain was really, really impactful where that was concerned. Now that I hear you say that, Mark, I see how you did that when you were at Starbucks. And I forget how many folks were under you, under you when you were a VP, but I definitely saw that. It was, it was very distinct from other leaders and really impressive. And I, I, it's great to hear you say that. I have a similar experience with, you know, Burt's Bees, PepsiCo, Starbucks, and Nestle, right? You look to cultures you've been a part of and you try to figure out how do you emulate the best of that, right? Which was the best so, culture that you were part of, Mandy? Me, Mandy? Well, besides Mir. Yeah, I mean, uh, yeah. Yeah. correct, correct. Uh, yeah. <laughs> gosh, Good for two different reasons. So PepsiCo in one way and then Starbucks in another. So Starbucks, obviously the values and like the fact that a company that size can still have such a strong sense of values and also morals 
and and that and and the passion and like the love truly just the love was so clear across the entire world when you met Starbucks partners so that I was second to none there are no companies I've seen that are like that that are that size yeah um PepsiCo had a had a culture of extremely high standards of excellence and truth and candor and just relentless drive to a goal and that was is part of my DNA so where Mark took the Bane pieces into his PepsiCo infused me with those high standards of excellence and the drive and the, the relentless clarity and candor. And I was, I'm so grateful for my time. And I'm sure Mark's obviously saying the same thing about his prior yeah, experience. Yeah, definitely. definitely. Now, you, now you both have MBAs. We do. <laughs> so you went, so did you go to Bain and then get your MBA? So you went back? I did. Okay. So you're yeah. like, you're like, all right, so I've done chemical engineering. I've done like tech policy work. I've got my master's in that. And then I got this Bain thing down. I'm going to go get my MBA at Harvard, no less, like, like no super chill, no big deal. Uh, yeah. do you, I'm curious now as you're running your own business, did the MBA, like, are there things, are there like tool tools from the MBA that have been helpful, um, from back in the day? Or is it also like, like, was it, was, I guess what I'm getting at is it not like a checkbox, but I'm always a little bit suspect of MBA. Like it's a lot of case study work, which is not yeah, bad. Yeah, it's yeah. good. Yes, it's good. We both good. went to case schools. Yeah. Exactly. Some but, of the best uh, in the world. Like our CEO, our CEO, <laughs> Anthony is like, he got his MBA, but just by like doing it right. And yeah. not everybody can do it. I totally get that. So there's a place, a place with MBA, but I'm curious now that you're like leading your own company. Is it, was it helpful? Was it not helpful? Yeah. Like I'm just, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it definitely was. I mean, look, you know, <laughs> part of the, uh, uh, when I was younger, I actually, I, I wanted to be an economist like my dad, and I wanted to kind of like go into business more generally speaking, right? And so a little bit of the contract, I, I, I'm, I'm holding up air quotes if people are going to listen, but like a little bit of the contract I had with my parents was that I would do the engineering stuff, like I went to MIT, I did that whole thing, but I would ultimately kind of transition to business. I was, you know, you can always get your MBA later, you can make that switch, et cetera. And, and in a lot of ways, Bain had kind of done that for me already strategy consulting, yeah. analytical toolkit, foray into business. But um because most people get their MBA and then go to Bain, right? Like that's kind of the typical path. Happen, yeah. e- either way, you can either yeah. go in as an associate, then get your MBA, or you can get an MBA and then then the then the whole post MBA career path at Bain or McKinsey or BCG kind of opens up to you, you know? Um yeah, so for me for me though, um it was an incredibly, incredibly enriching experience. And I think like you hear a very broad slate of perspectives on whether MBAs are worth it or not worth it and the money and all this stuff. And I think like so much of it depends on what you're in it for, right? Mm. Like if you ask me, was I in it to collect a stack of case studies, yeah high? Definitely not. <laughs> to be candid, didn't really give a shit, right? <laughs> to be super clear, you know? Um because you know, you'd, you'd already I, done, I, it, you'd I, already I, done I, it at Bain. Like, you were already doing the case studies. You were living it, right? Yeah. I mean, the, the, the one thing I say that's good about the case study thing is that, like, it's almost, um, listen, so much of, of, of business, like, people have, like, experience is pattern recognition in one way or totally. another, right? Mm-hmm. Like, like, 100%. Oh, yeah. yeah. I was in this situation yep. once. And I, I, with my startup now, I think about it all the time. I'm like, oh, yeah, when I had my last startup, which didn't work out, like, this is what I did wrong. This is what I always told myself I would change and now I'm going to do it differently. So pattern right, recognition, right. a bunch of different scenarios you get over and over again. And so yes, while it's true that like the case study method is you kind of, it's more of an armchair analysis because we're all sitting down in our fancy little you know, <laughs> chairs at, at, at HBS talking about whatever. It does give you more reps, right? It gives Absolutely. you more reps. And, and if you sit down, you listen to the perspective of other people in that class, everyone's not 
um, male or female or black or white or American or foreign. You actually, it's like a, it's a melting pot of all of those things. And it does, I think, if you go in there with an open mind, right, allow you to kind of start to see things a little bit more in 3D. And by 3D, what mm. I mean is a, a variety of different perspectives, right? Right. Um, I, I've often said that, you know, there actually there aren't a lot of things that I know. But one thing I know is that there are there, there are very few absolutes in this world. Amen. And I think that like being able to kind of see some of the shades of gray, being able to sort of appreciate somebody else's perspective, this idea of empathy, right? My, my own team has me preach about empathy all the time. You ask me, what is the single most critical skill that you need to have in life? And I, I mean that actually personally or professionally, it's empathy. And empathy isn't like, oh, you feel sad, I feel sad for you. People misuse that word mm. a lot in the English language. Agreed. Empathy is about emotional resonance, right? Mm. It's be able to kind of understand where somebody else is at and try to find a way to meet them there or build a bridge to wherever they're at, right? And I think that like, again, going back to the business school question, if you use that experience the right way, it can actually conjure and culture quite a bit of that in you. And I think that, that, that piece for me was extraordinarily valuable, you know? Did you have a similar experience? Yeah. So, uh, Mark, I'm curious to know what they say in the parlance of HBS, how many cases a, gen a student would do in their career at University of Virginia Darden School of Business, where I went, just for the listeners, so you know, uh, <laughs> exactly. uh, go ACC. Uh, so at, at Darden, we did about 600 of those cases in our careers, uh, at, in our two years at the school. And it, like Mark said, it's about those revs, right? That's a lot and of bats. That's a lot of bats, exactly. And, and the, yeah. the power and richness of the case discussion in class, because you're analyzing as you know, four cases per night of different subjects, accounting, operations, marketing, and then sometimes like finance. And then you're coming in to class the next day and you're in those four classes talking about those four cases. So that's a big switch right there, just the subjects. And then the dialogue that happens between students of super different backgrounds, right? So I was one of the mm -hmm. oldest women in my class at Darden. I had a career in entrepreneurial companies and then was a professional bicycle racer and then like rolled into school, which was a crazy way to start, right? Having come from yep. like just finishing a huge <laughs> bike race and the next week I show up with tan lines, right? So, <laughs> so, so, so a little so different from Mark because I think you started school a little bit younger, but at any rate, it all adds to the richness of the discussion, which is a wonderful parallel to decision-making in business and also in life. I mean, the ability to negotiate with someone who has a different perspective and employ that empathy, Mark, like you you, I think you live that. I've seen it. And again, now that you say those things and some other conversations you and I have had about empathy, and I, I now see it from that view of how you deal with people and treat them and how they feel when they're around you. It's really, really powerful. That makes sense why wow. I always feel so good when I'm around you, Mark. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we were unlocking some secrets on this podcast. Yeah, there, right? yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, let's no, let's, let's dial up the Oval Office, too, and have, have, have a right? quick chat let's about have empathy. A yeah, yeah, yeah. See what, see, see what we can spare, you know? Yeah, 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 totally. Oh, I love that. I love what you said about be, like seeing in 3D of, you know, when you're doing case studies or just you're seeing this 2D nature, but then when you get in this room where there's people that look and feel different than you, you can start to contextualize the world and that it, mm -hmm. that it is 3D. There are no absolutes. And there's a lot of gray and there, that it's almost as though like uh, there's this people want to be black and white and it's just not mm -hmm. just like not. it's just not black just and white. Not. It's super gray. Yeah. And I think that's what's really important is in that gray area, having that empathy to be able to, to meet people where they're at and not just have pity, but to meet people where they're at is super. Amen. It's a good unlock, Mark. Yeah. 
Awesome. Tips from <laughs> Professor Farrell. I'm glad, I'm, glad, Got it. I'm, glad, I'm glad you guys are, are aligned, you know, but no, I, be, I, be, I believe in it super, super strongly. So, yeah. you know, I'm, yeah, I'm glad. We should it. probably charge for this podcast. There's so much knowledge being dropped right. here. We should, we should put should, a paywall yeah, on. Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. A, <laughs> We're bringing it to you yeah, for free. Yeah, I mean, the cost of our educations combined. It's, yeah, this is know, an expensive quite, conversation. Yeah, so we should probably yeah, you're right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Let's, let's, let's offset a couple of bucks, man. Let's yeah. see what we can do. Sounds good. Buy some more rum. Yeah, we'll get we'll get into the rum conversation. We can offset some of those those things. So how I'm curious, how did you how did you land at, at Starbucks and then how did you two meet? Mark, go ahead. Yeah. Uh, so um, both of those are, are funny stories. So <laughs> Good. I, 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 I landed at Starbucks. Mandy knows why I'm laughing already. I landed at Starbucks. Um, uh, I, I started early 2016 and I, I had a, a pretty chance serendipitous kind of meeting with, with, with Howard Schultz uh, about, a, about a year prior. It was March of 2015. Um, and in between graduating from Harvard, um, whatever, June 2010, until that time, I'd actually been running my own little startup. So I had a startup in the sports and media space. I won't, I won't go down that foxhole right now. But, but um, the only things I'll say about that experience were, um, number one, you know, you know we, we talked about all the fancy resume stuff, which honestly I don't really care about. Like, like we, um, I worked harder on that one startup mm-hmm. in those five years then I had worked on everything else in my life combined up until that point, right? Like the other stuff, like, yes, super lucky to have done it and, you know, worked out as it did. But I put like my entire heart and soul into this startup. And whether it was the right idea or wrong idea, like we can litigate that some other time. But that's how I was focused on it. Um, for all sorts of different reasons, I think one of which was actually timing. Um, I, think, I think trying to build that same business in 2020 would look very different than it did then. Um, it never quite scaled the way that I hoped that it would. Um, and so by early to mid 2015, I was at a little bit of a crossroads, right? Kind of trying to figure out, you know, do I keep on sort of pushing this boulder uphill or is there something else I should be looking at doing instead? Um, to say that I was having a bit of a crisis of confidence would be uh, a gross understatement, a uh, gross understatement. You know, you sort of, you really can kind of lose yourself in these things sometimes, mm. right? Particularly, again, when you try it so hard and something hasn't worked uh, the way that it did. Um, and I, I, I met Howard. Actually, again, not related to Starbucks, actually related to my sort of role in New York as a young entrepreneur. And um, I always tell people that there are kind of two things that struck me about him immediately. Uh, one is the guy talks like an entrepreneur. Mm. And, and, and that's why is that interesting? It's interesting because like this is Howard Schultz, like shit. Like I saw him on a, the cover of a magazine last week. I saw him on, you know, uh, MSNBC like the week before. Right. Um, but he talks like a guy who is opening his third coffee shop, not his 30,000th coffee shop, right? Yeah, and yeah. he um, has this kind of insatiable sort of, um, actually, I call it this entrepreneurial impatience, right? Every entrepreneur <laughs> oh, yeah, knows what that, they, they know, right? Awesome. Right? Yeah. So, so, Brian, you're laughing because you know exactly what that, you know <laughs> what that feels like. Yeah. You, yes. you know let's when you go, see let's it. Go, let's you go, let's go, let's go. You can look at my text let's, messages let's, from, you know, 9.30 why, p.m. Why is it already done? Well, it's not done because right. you just told me about it, but still, it should be done. Like, God love God Yep. But it's a beautiful tension. uh, That entrepreneurial sort of impatience. And it really resonated with me as somebody who was trying to build a brand at the time. And the other thing that also struck me was super clear sense of purpose. And and, and what I'll say about that is that like, we don't all have to have the same purpose, right? Like, Like ultimately what motivates Brian, Mandy, Mark, Howard, whoever's listening are all very different things. But to be able to kind of understand where somebody's purpose sort of resides in a way that you can really sort of like respect it and kind of value it, I think is incredibly powerful. And, and, and he really kind of had that. Um, 
um, community, humanity, right? A sense of kind of a sense of place for all of us. And you say to yourself, wow, like, this is somebody that I really, you know, have developed some admiration and respect for. Anyway, through that sort of chance meeting, we ended up sort of um, building up a series of conversations. I ended up coming out to Starbucks a, a few times during uh, the course of 2015. And on my last trip out to Starbucks, I ended up meeting the lady who would become my, my boss. Um, her name is, is Sharon Rothstein. Uh, she's incredible. She's amazing. Uh, she was a CMO of Starbucks at the time. And we just had like, um, again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to overuse the word resonance. But like, you know, you meet somebody and just like in two seconds, you're like, yo, like, where have you been my whole life? Right. Yeah. Like, like and that's, yeah. that's kind of how, that's kind of how our vibe was. And, and they were looking at getting this e-commerce thing, um, sort of, uh, what would I say? Sort of off the ground a little bit or getting it moving a little bit. There was a natural fit between what I think they were hoping to do at the time and maybe where I would have been able to come in and add a little bit of entrepreneurial energy and a little bit of that, whatever you want to call it. And so, yeah, I ended up packing up my super sweet downtown bachelor in New York life <laughs> and moving out west, <laughs> you know, to Seattle. Uh yeah, January of twenty sixteen. So I mean that's 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 kinda that's kinda how I got there. Ooh, and, rough you know, rough time to move to Seattle. Nice. January. January is not a great Yikes. time to move to Seattle. Where you're like, what have I done? Yeah. <laughs> totally. 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 That's awesome. So you come in, so what 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 role did you take when you first came into in the Starbucks? Uh so my first role was uh was a VP of e commerce. So um we had a we had an e commerce um you know, e-commerce setup for both Starbucks and for Tivana. Um, we had at that moment combined them under my leadership then. And, you know, um, the, the business, I think, had struggled a little bit to kind of figure out whether it was like path to profitability or path to growth or how it sort of fit into the broader Starbucks ecosystem. Mm -hmm. It's a big, big mothership, right? Yeah. As, as Mandy knows. Yeah. Um, and so, yeah, that was kind of, that was my first gig. That was my first charge. Um, and I did that for about, well, I, I did that for two years, but I, but I did that alone for about seven or eight months. And then I also added on uh, what we used to call the retail lobby at Starbucks. So if you if you walk into a Starbucks store and you, you know, it's the front of house, the packaged right. coffee, the packaged food, the merchandise. Um, I took over that P&L and ran that ran that business for the for the U.S. as well. So, yeah, that was that was kind of my that was kind of my gig. Um, I love it. I love it. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, and that's I think that's how we met because we were I don't know if it was roastery yep. related, but I, yeah, I remember you know chatting up at SCA and um, you know we put together a few programs, which was great. And um, but I'm curious, how did you and Mandy? How did you two cross paths? Because you said that's also a funny story. So I'm. I'm it was funny. You know, hey, who it's wants funny. to tell no, it? So, so, I'm interested. Uh, in telling what your take is. Right, why don't you start, and then maybe I'll interrupt you rudely. How's that? <laughs> well, Sound good? Uh, well, so so Mandy, <laughs> Mandy. Uh, well, first of all, Mandy's a rock star, but you already know that. Yeah, um, yeah. Was and is a rock star, and I was very clear from day one meeting her for sure. You know, game but, um, recognizes game. I yeah. think. Game because we both game. have that great senses of style. Yeah. Oh, hundred percent. Uh, yeah, uh, yes, we Absolutely. did. We did also fashion. value that. That is true. We were, that is definitely we were friends true. in fashion. Um, Game recognized game. Somebody should make a T-shirt. Like game recognized game. Yeah, we should make a camp <laughs> cup of that. Camp cup. Right? Yeah, why we're... haven't we? Why, why haven't we done that yet? We should do that, Mandy. <laughs> um, but Mandy was part of um, the 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 strategy sort of um, uh, group team uh, at Starbucks, and she was <laughs> she was. I mean, what, what would I say? Out things I should say on a podcast. And sure. She was sent on a mission. As part of a, <laughs> as part of a, there was a, there's a group of, I won't call the other names here, but like there was a couple of folks from that team who were sent on a mission. I mean, they came, they came onto my office 
And as best I could tell, they were there to kind of ascertain, right, what exactly I was doing with this business and whether it actually made sense for us as a company to kind of like stick it out with e-commerce or like look to change the strategy or do something yeah. else. So, so I, I only laughed because she, she showed up on this kind of fact-finding mission in my office a couple of months after I had started, right? Yes. And is that God? Yeah, yes? Was it like right. office space style where you're like, so, so what do you say right. you do around it, here? Yeah, to a degree. It, there was some <laughs> of that. And yeah, you're, and, and Mark, because you were a former consultant, which is basically, you know, our team, we were basically management consultants inside of the company, right? We were the corporate strategists, we love to say. And yeah, exactly. we, we, we get sent on these missions to find facts that then become hypotheses and business decisions that. Yeah, exactly. Did you get a bad so reputation, Mandy? Not bad, but Not, just what, when you guys oh, started yeah. nose around, people were like, uh-oh, the consultants are so, here. <laughs> Mandy Lozano probably didn't, but I think sometimes uh, the strategy team was not always welcome because they because they would bring about change, right? Yeah. It, they would make conclusions based on disparate data sets that maybe people weren't really putting together, and then we would connect dots and then make recommendations that were the right strategic direction for the company. Yeah, and that was our mandate from you know from Howard. I sat right outside Howard's office, in fact, and um, got yeah. to have a lot of good strategy conversations with him. And so yeah, and it was it was a very valuable role we played in the company. There was an element of neutrality there, and so I was yeah. Yes, on a fact-finding mission <laughs> uh, where I met <laughs> yeah, Mr. Yeah. Mr. I Farrell. Say that diplomatically, yeah. fact-finding mission. Yeah. And, and, and by the way, you, you are right. I think um, the ex-consultant in me is really what sort of... Yeah. I, I just, I just, I just saw bells. the whole thing. Yep. Literally, I, I, had a, I had a map in my mind of about the whole conversation. Of what the final deck would look like. Yeah. Uh -huh. and yeah, 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 totally. And I was like, <laughs> okay, you, you, you want to see my deck? You want me to send you this information? Right. You want right. to buy when? I'm like, listen, guys, you know. listen. I don't, I'm not sure you're in the right office playing the right game here. But, yeah. um, but, no, but no, Brian, Mandy was not a... Um, Mandy wasn't... wasn't, wasn't a, she could never play the role of bad cop. You know what I mean? So I think she was very well... It was and is very well liked. Um, yeah. Even when, even when in the midst of her fact-finding mission. <laughs> yeah. So the the cool thing was out of it came, you know, I think the right decision for the business, which was over time we decided to scale down the the Starbucks.com site, right? Because the the path to profitability was difficult to achieve, and we had a consumer goods business that I'd actually come from prior that probably was able to get household penetration through packaged coffee and tea, et cetera in a way that was perhaps more profitable for the company. And so Mark though, being an absolute champ and also brilliant, like he told you, his role then changed and broadened scope. And so he was able to continue to impact the Starbucks organization with his experience and his perspective, you know, regardless of whether or not .com was still alive. So hats off Mark for taking all of that in stride. And I think it ended up being an awesome outcome for the company on all fronts. Yeah, I think, you know, I mean, everything, yeah, everything works as it, as, it, as it should, I suppose. Yeah. You know, again, <laughs> This, this this idea of, of entrepreneurial impatience, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, again, it's like, well, what what, um, what are we trying to accomplish here, right? Like like like, do we? One of the things that I had spent a lot of time debating, and I won't I won't I won't offer up a an answer or a belief here because I don't think it's my place to to do that. But I think one of the things that's always very interesting to debate when you're a part of any large company is um, what role does each sort of like piece of the puzzle. Uh, have for the greater for the exactly. greater good the great ecosystem if you will mm. and so and so it, it is everything a function of profitability is it a function of, is it a growth opportunity um, is it an opportunity for disruption is it an opportunity for to build brand uh, do we do it just because we have to and it's part of the soul of the company and so again actually as I as I reflect on some of those conversations you know decisions are made how they're made um, but even that I think was a very good lesson just in kind of really sort of understanding and unpacking 
um, back to the idea of 3D, the dimensionality of a decision or, or, or different perspectives on whether, you know, we're all looking at the same thing. I'm holding it up in my hand right now. What color is it? What, you know, what shape is it? Right. And we're actually seeing different things. And I think, I think that was a very interesting example of that in, in, in some ways and certainly a really good learning experience to have. Yeah, absolutely. And I got a really good friend out of the deal on Mark. I'm assuming you'll say the same thing. He and I have been uh, well, friends now since that. then, and, and it's been yep. awesome. To, to, stay, only, only good to stay buddies. Yeah. <laughs> so it's many good, good stories. Yep. I'm yeah. curious, at your time at Starbucks, I'm imagining, and maybe this is inaccurate, but you come in, you have this incredible background experience. You're, you're young, youngest VP. What, what, how did you over, and maybe, maybe I'm uh, trying to, maybe I'm like teasing something out that's not accurate, but like, was, was there challenges of being quote unquote, the young or the new person or what, you know, the young VP or whatever, was that challenging at Starbucks? Um, it's 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 a cha- it's a challenge um, that I think you have to you have to you know face head on and figure out how you embrace it and overcome it, right? So um, going into that situation and being conscious of that, I think makes a massive difference, right? Yeah. So you you can walk in and have blinkers on and just say, well, you know, I'm just gonna be me and do what I do and like whatever everyone else thinks. I don't care. I don't give a shit. Like, and that's that to me would be the wrong attitude, and certainly is not the attitude that I try to project or convey. I think um, a lot of this comes down to how you approach people and situations with, with humility, right? And I think one thing that, that again, was, was really prevalent at Starbucks and very, very strong from the moment, moment you walk in the door is, um, you, you know, you walk into a place that has a sense of history. Starbucks had this kind of living history because there were so many people who had been there for forever, right? right. It, it wasn't unusual to find somebody who had been there 15, 20 years. I mean, if you've been at Starbucks for five years, you might as well still be a newbie, right? right. That, that, that was nothing. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and, and, and listen, that, that, that cuts both ways, right? Because sometimes when you're, you're coming back, this entrepreneurial impatience, like, I want to do it like this. Somebody tells you, yeah, but that's already been tried. We already tried that back in 1996 in Q3 and here's that work. And that's not always the way for like entrepreneur, entrepreneurial ideas to kind of win the day. But um, to, to your question about walking in and being young and being maybe a little precocious and stuff, I think having enough respect for the history of the place and the perspectives people have to offer, um, I, I, I think and I hope that it, that, it, that it went a long way. You know what I mean? Mm. So trying to surround yourself with people and say, hey, before I sit down here to offer up any opinions, you know, like, tell me what you've been working on. Tell me how you mm. see this, Right. Um, tell me how, how I can help, right? And again, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to steal something from, from Howard here. This is not my original idea um, at all, but like this idea of servant leadership, you know? Mm. Um, and, and, and your role as a leader of a, of a little team, a big team of an entire organization is to figure out how you can better serve those folks and empower them. I see you guys have that sign right there, but literally, how do you empower them to kind of do more and build better? And so, yeah, I mean, I, I, I tried my best to, to do that and just really kind of hope that people would see that in a very sort of earnest kind of fashion and then everything else I think would would fall into place from there. Yeah, oh, that's great. That's great wisdom for for young folks who are listening. That's that's really really uh, that's a nugget right there for sure of yeah. of asking how you can help around, how you can do better, which takes as you as you know, takes a lot of humility uh, to be able to do that too. I similar like I, I somewhat resonate with that too where when I started Miro I was 24, right? And I think I think back mm-hmm. to like those times. I was like, "What? An, I was not intelligent to start a company at 24." But um, we, and nonetheless, we did. Um, but it was yep. interesting because it's almost as though people did not take me seriously. And I think sometimes 
it, it backfired when I tried to pretend more than I did. So if I tried to like use my ego and pretend that I knew something that I didn't, but in reality, when I started approaching more of that servant leadership, and then also I think just like approaching 30 and getting over 30, I think mentally for me, it was like a marker where people finally started to take me seriously, but also mm -hmm. the business had grown at that point, five years later, that people finally started taking <laughs> taking us yep. seriously. But I always yep. I always appreciate your perspective because I think when we first met, I was probably maybe like right around 30, 29, 30. Um, mm -hmm. So it was it was just I don't know that that like that uh, that kinship. I was like, yes, he respect, you know, like game yeah, yeah, game. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which, which which we're all in search of, right? Yeah. We're all trying to find one way or another. Our tribe, you know? right? Yeah, 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 yeah your vibe attracts your tribe for sure. Yeah. Um, mm -hmm. All right, so Starbucks was amazing, and then you head off into this new venture. Tell us about ten to one. What's what was the what was the aha? The idea, the passion, was it always there? I'm I'm so fascinated about how this started. Yeah, and so what you, is ten you, to so one? Because people are like, "What are you talking about, Brian?" <laughs> oh yeah, ten to one is is the dopest, most delicious rum that you will ever try. Yes, that's, all, yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah, the cool. best. That's, that's the best elevator pitch I've ever heard. By the way, too. Yeah. I mean, what else? What else can I tell you? That's that's pretty much it. You know, yeah. if that doesn't convince you, nothing else will. So yeah. you know, go get it, go try it. Right, simple <laughs> as that. Um, but no, like ten to one is. Uh, I mean, it's I launched it just over a year. I mean. 15 months ago or so. Um, so it's still relatively new. We've been working on it for probably two and a half years now. Um, so still pretty new. Um, but it's just, it's this incredible, people always ask me whether um, it's like this passion project or whether like I saw an opportunity in the market. And I tell them it's this, it's this serendipitous, incredible intersection of the two. Mm. It's a personal point of passion like nothing else you could find. Um, and there is a really big, you know, back to that old Bain toolkit, there's a massive commercial opportunity. There's a gap in this, in this market that we think we can go fill successfully. And I think that is, that is what has sort of given rise to 10 to 1 as a business. Um, you remember that I was kind of mentioning before that when I, um, before I got to Starbucks, I had had this business for five years. I ended up at a crossroads crisis of confidence. I thought to myself, look, you know, you gave the old college try. You tried to build a business here, you know, didn't, it, I mean, it was a cool business. It just never scaled as much as we hoped. Right. So if that, that was probably your one shot. It's not going to happen again. Entrepreneurial mojo was kind of gone, at least in that context. Um, but after a year and a half or so at Starbucks, it actually, it actually began to sort of creep back in, you know, um, I think in a, a lot of ways, kind of a safe space to kind of go and, 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 and recalibrate and regenerate some of that energy. And, and it really all began to get pointed quite quickly in the direction of 10 to 1. And, and the reason why is because, you know, I talk about this idea of personal passion. Uh, I'm from Trinidad and Tobago. I think we mentioned that at the very beginning. Yeah. Born and raised in the Caribbean. You know, even though I've now lived, you know, up, abroad, quote unquote, for 20 years, I'm, I'm Trini, right? I'm from Trinidad. And I think that, like, um, from my vantage point, when you look at the way that people in this market, the, the U.S. consumer market, Think about rum. Think about rum culture. Think about Caribbean culture more broadly. There's always been this very massive gap between mm. the way that I know and have experienced those things where I'm from in Trinidad versus the way that I often see being brought to life here in this market, yeah. right? So um, there's, not, there's spring, not captains sailing around named a, Morgan down that, there? Um, <laughs> yo, Brian, I'm always giving people this guarantee. If you come to Trinidad, I promise you, there's no pirate ships. We're no pirate ships, right? The plant, <laughs> the whole plantation thing, we're trying to move beyond all those old colonial vestiges, right? right? Like, that's not part of the narrative. So how can we encourage, like, how can we encourage the category to, 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 to look at rum 
through a much more authentic, much mm. more contemporary lens, right? That's of critical, critical, so it's of critical importance to me and to us. So again, when you talk about personal points of passion, this presents such a unique opportunity to tell a story of who I am and where I'm from uh, uh, um, through, again, 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 through a very specific lens, right? In a way that most other products, consumer or not, really wouldn't be able to do, right? right. So, so yes, you know, for me, like taking away from that narrative of pirates and plantations, shining a light on more contemporary Caribbean culture, what celebration means to us, how that is embodied, and certainly elevating, if you go back to the product side, really elevating the consumer perception about rum, right? Mm-hmm. Um, go to any of your friends' houses, look at their back bar. They have, you know, Casamigos tequila next to Hendrix gin, next to Del Maguey mezcal, next to Mictas rye and Whistlepig or whatever the case is. Yeah. Every other spirit, every, you, you're like, I just named And then there's flavor your Bacardi. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So, so every other spirits category has undergone their own sort of renaissance. Totally. Seemingly with the exception of rum. Hmm. And rum is an incredible spirit. It's super elevated. It's very versatile in its own right. Um, and if you ask me kind of, What's the goal of 10 to 1? You know, look back on this 5, 10 years from now and say, what did you do? What did you build? It's to change that perception, right? Mm. We talk about this idea of rum reimagined, right? Ooh. I'm going to take everything you thought you knew about rum and turn it on its head. And, and, and hopefully a few years from now, you point to that bottle, wherever it is, whatever back bar you're seeing in Seattle or in Portland or in, uh, you know, Texas or New York. And you're yeah. saying, yeah, that's the bottle that was able to help change the way that we frame this category. I love that. Awesome. I have not had the pleasure of having your rum. I'm looking forward to it. Well, I've got we'll some send, at my I'll, house. I'll, I'll, I'll send you some first order of business after this, after this yeah. little uh, <laughs> episode. Make sure, make sure you're you're appropriately uh, taken care of. I yeah. love, I love it. So you're, so I have so many questions, Mandy. What, what, are you, what, what questions do you have about ten to one? I have so many, but I don't want to hog the mic. Mark, how did you? So this also, like you know, your company being very young, and then the mm-hmm. pandemic has overlaid a lot of its lifespan, right? And mm-hmm. I've noticed, so I haven't been a fan. I mean, I've been a part of this journey with you for a while and really proud of what you've created and so excited about you being that bottle they point to that will help reposition this. I think it's, I think it's, I think you got what it takes. And so how have you been able to stay consistent with that point of view through all of this? And also with the fact that we can't all gather anymore like we did. And I, I have, I have a hypothesis about how you've done it because I've seen it on your socials. But tell me your thought process when the pandemic hit and how you pivoted yet really hits continue to keep elevating it, even though you didn't have that aspect of social gathering anymore to, to be the obvious place. Yeah, I mean, I think uh, it's a great, great question. I think I think for me, there's a fundamental difference between sort of like 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 who you are and then how you share that with the world. Yeah. And I think the who you are is super consistent. How you share that with the world, how you bring it to life. You'll, you'll, you'll evolve it and you'll shift it as the situation warrants, right? So um, I was doing an IG Live thing a few weeks ago and I got a question from somebody in the audience who asked, I'm paraphrasing a little bit, but they asked whether I had the brand fully developed or fully baked in my mind before I launched. And I said, well, I said, well, well no, like, like I, I didn't and I don't because a brand is like a living organism, right? Like, like the way that... You know, um, you take feedback from your customers, you, yep. you put something out there, you, you, right? you give and you take, you're, you're playing sort of emotional tennis, and then like you'll continue to kind of evolve the way that it's expressed. So you can't have a brand fully baked in your mind before you've even put it out on a shelf. But 
you can have a very clear sense of who you are and what you care about, right? And so again, I'm going to come back to something earlier in the story. Let's go back to Howard and his sense of purpose. Like, like what did I learn from Starbucks? Maybe nothing more important than that. Like, when you look at somebody who's that incredible and that accomplished, you just, yo, yo, this is what we're about. And you can either get down with it or not get down with it, but <laughs> this is how we're, this is how we're doing it, right? Um, we have a very clear sense of what it is we're trying to accomplish with, with, with 10 to 1. I say we because it's not me. It's actually the entire team, our advisors, our, our broader group of investors and advocates. Like, we're trying to row in the same direction. Yes, that starts with me, but it's very much very much a we. And so having a very unapologetic sense of, 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 of self, um, who we are as a brand and what it is we believe in, I think has been really, really critical, right? Now, once you have that grounding, that therefore I think puts you in a position to be a little bit more malleable, be a yeah. little more flexible yeah. as the situation yeah. warrants it. So COVID happens, yep. shit show, right? Like, <laughs> right. like, like, yeah, that's, that's, that's like that's actual. French. Yeah. Yeah. yeah right. Actual. Yeah. That's <laughs> French. But, um, <laughs> You know, we'd had a we'd had a really awesome first ten months in market, ton of momentum, great press, cases moving, building the case study in New York as we hoped. And you know, I think this is the first time in many of our lives, right? Um, you know, any 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 young youngish person in America or, or more broadly, where you actually saw the wheel stop for everyone. It's mm. not like the West Coast is good, but the East Coast is struggling, or America is good but the UK is struggling. The wheel stopped for everyone all of a sudden, right? And the question then becomes, okay, shit, well, well, this just happened. How do you sit down and kind of adapt to it, process it, and kind of react it? And I, I try to, um, with my own team at least, give us a sense of, um, for, first of all, you know, you try to set the tone as best you can, right? Yeah. Like, no panic, right? We're all good. You know, nobody's going away. We're going to take a little bit of time, figure this out, build a new rhythm, and we're going to keep on marching forward. Yep. Mm. We're a young business. Yep. We're a startup. Like, we have nothing to lose. Like, we're, we're early, <laughs> early doors, early days here. Mm -hmm. So from really kind of May onwards, um, let's get into kind of test and learn, test and iterate um, mode. You can't have any, to do that successfully, you cannot, uh, you can't get too down on, 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 on getting things wrong. Because most of the stuff you try is going to be wrong anyway. But I'd rather we be out there trying stuff and doing it than kind of sitting on our hands waiting for something to pass when we have no idea when that's going to when that's going to transpire. And I think I think a lot of that for us with 10 to 1 has been about shifting how we go to market. So much more on the e-commerce D2C side. Now I'm bringing back some of my old roots again. It's funny how these things just kind of come up in different ways, but mm -hmm. I'm bringing back my old e-commerce hat and bringing it to bear here. Um, thinking through unique partnerships for the brand that can help to get that product to market. I'm basically creating new routes to market where my original route to market, which was the, the, the bar, the restaurant, the hotel down the block from you has suddenly been closed. Mm. Yeah. And the, 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 the benefit of that is as that route starts to reemerge and you're seeing some signs of life with it now, again, slowly but surely, and God knows has to be responsibly, but um, you're going to be in a much better position than you ever were before. Because when yeah. that volume comes back, on top, of what, on top of what we've built in the last three, four months, well, then, you know, you have, you have multiple different avenues or multiple different paths to success that I think are, are really game changers for the brand. That's awesome. Yeah. And yeah, Brian, that feels kind of parallel to what we yeah. experienced at Mirror. Yeah. Calm well. is contagious. Yeah. Try to remain calm. Remain, and remembering who we were. Yeah. And oh, I, oh, dude, I, lo I, I love that. Yeah. 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 It's, and it, and it, and it works too. Like it's, it's, uh, it's very evident when you're just, when you're not, you're not losing your mind, you know, like, uh, 
it's good. And then having your purpose, your ground, you know, to ground you into what you do. And then you're flexible, you know, it's a living, breathing organism, uh, as a brand mm-hmm. and you're, you're navigating what happens. And I'd imagine digital, did digital become a, a more important avenue for you all during, during COVID? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Right. So, I mean, I mean, obviously the e-commerce pieces I mentioned before, but also just more broadly, like digital, social media, IG uh, lives, more storytelling, yeah, through totally. those avenues. Definitely. Even figuring out how we can bring some of the stuff that we did offline online. So virtual happy hours and tastings and, you know, anything we were doing successfully offline, let's figure out what the online equivalent equivalent of it looks like and see how we can manifest it and kind of bring it to bed. Absolutely. Definitely, Definitely put us down for the next virtual happy hour that we yeah. can all do together. Done and I done. feel like we Friends need to done. do some cocktail making <laughs> and Brian uh, needs to get those bottles. Yep. That's your that's your official RSVP. I love it. I love it. What's uh, I'm curious. What's the name? Where did the name come from? What was the inspiration for the name? Yeah. Um, so the name Ten to One uh, actually inspired by the original Caribbean Federation, which consisted of ten countries. Right. So the idea of ten becoming one. Uh, and as Trinidad's Prime Minister at the time, Dr. Eric Williams said, uh, he said one from ten equals zero. Uh, effectively making the point that if you remove one from the collective, the whole thing falls apart. So we kind of took that, 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 that narrative, romanticized it, and, and really sort of used it to symbolize this idea that we are stronger together than we are apart, right? We talk a lot about this idea of, of, of beauty in the blend, right? The strength of the collective. Um, if, if, you ha- if you happen to have a bottle in front of you right now, you will actually also see that like the 10 to 1 TTO uh, also is, is also Trinidad and Tobago's country code. So there's a little hidden cipher oh. in the design, a little hidden so shout out to the home country that's on there as well. Um, I love want, that. Want, I love the layers there. Uh, all about all about the layers, bro. You give them a couple of different meanings, you know. Oh um, yeah, I love it. Love it. <laughs> layers and also and also intention. Mm. Uh, I want every element of this brand to feel intentional, right? You're like, oh, where'd the name come from? The logo, the color scheme, like you know, there there is a there is a method to the madness behind each of those steps, and you want them to all be grounded in these ideas of. Caribbean, uh, authentic Caribbean history, culture, and heritage, right? Those are the moorings of the brand. Yeah. Amazing. Uh, yes. Brothers from another mother. Cause yeah, the intentionality, like I feel like Mir is very kin to that as far as just the layers of the name and the intentionality and the purpose and the, and then also being flexible. So it's like, you know, you've got your purpose and your grounding, but then you're flexible to be able to meet the market and, and iterate and figure out new ways of doing business. I mean, obviously yeah, with COVID, abs- you got to find new ways. <laughs> absolutely. absolutely. And, I, and I'll tell you what, man, you know, obviously I have a lot of respect for what, for what you and what you guys have been able to do. And it, it, it shines through, right? You can, you can see that stuff, right? And I mm-hmm. think you get to a place where consumers can begin to appreciate that intentionality from a distance and then certainly it serves you in, in good stead. So. Well, thank you. Yeah. Do you think, do you think that's maybe why Starbucks has been able to be say more successful than like a Dunkin or cause like, if you're like who started Dunkin Donuts, I'm like, I don't know, but like, <laughs> you know, that entrepreneurial, uh, impatience as you, as you've beautifully said of like the founder vision, uh, you know, just demands or just that authenticity, you know, cause it seems like big companies are like, how do we become authentic? And it's like, yeah. it's Miss not like boat, a formula, guys. you know? Yeah. Should yeah. Well again. Yeah. You know, <laughs> the, um, I, I, I laugh, you know, you know, there was that whole, um, debate a few years ago. Uh, I mean, like Romney was in it too, but like the whole, like, you know, our, our corporations people remember that whole oh, yeah. Yeah, oh, yeah. Court decision. Yeah. Yeah. It, it, it was a big joke on late night TV and stuff. Like, you know, I, I kind of think about that now because now that I have a company, I say to myself, well, you know, Kind of is right, like like at least ten to one, like 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 we we have a person's perspective, right? So 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 take 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 the whole 
we've had all this civil rights reckoning, right? Yes. Over the, it's not it's not BLM, Black Lives Matter. I think it's just a broader civil rights reckoning, and of course, Black Lives Matter is at the heart of all of that conversation today, right? Um, I'm a young black guy. I'm not I'm not from here, but it doesn't matter because I, I love that you're still calling yourself young. Life. I love that. Awesome. You keep that up. Oh, dude, yeah, dude. Until I'm like 50, I think I'm gonna say yeah. I'm gonna say yeah. Until, until somebody tells me to stop. So somebody, or or until all the hair is gray, I'll just keep on saying young. I'm a I'm a youngish, youngish black guy living in this country. I've been here for 20 years, and so certainly you have a perspective on these things, right? And the question is, okay, um, as a brand, as a brand, are, are you going to say something? If you are, like, what are you gonna say? How are you gonna say it? And and this is where this whole idea of like knowing who you are and what you're about makes a difference because mm-hmm. like it makes it makes these decisions so easy like of course we're going to say something like why are we not say something we yeah. have to say something part totally. of the conversation and yes it's going to be through 10 to 1's instagram channel or website or whatever i don't care if it's a company because if you're not down with these things then you're not down with us either and that's fine that's a choice that you can make and so like 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 um in that sense right back to this joke about like corporations being people the, the, the business, the brand has to have a sense of self, right? And, yeah. and again, we're, we're super early days. So I'm not trying to be overly preachy about what we've done or haven't done because we haven't done anything yet. But 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 if you look at something like Starbucks, I think the answer to your question is yes, right? Like, um, it's one thing to be, and I used to think about this a ton. It's one thing to be an incredible leader. Being an incredible leader is hard, super hard, right? But it's one thing to be an incredible leader where you can literally reach out and touch every person in your organization. We all sit in one office or one city, one building. When you have a business like Starbucks where, you know, you're in, I mean, you're, you're dotted around every country on the globe, 30,000 little nodes, right? And I would, I, I would, I would always marvel. I'm sure Mandy did too, at like the way that people would talk about Howard, who'd never even met him. Right. I say, no, no, right. you haven't even been in the same room as the guy. You haven't even been to Seattle. But somehow that 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 culture, that that sense of purpose, that sense of belief has permeated through multiple generations, multiple countries, multiple nodes, um, um, and allowed the thing to scale. So yeah, I think like 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 one of the reasons why it's been so successful over time is that you kind of managed to take that why and, and, and make it scalable. And it's, it's, it's an extraordinarily hard thing to do, right? I think anybody who's ever tried to do that knows that for a fact. But if, yeah. you, can, if you can make it happen, then you really have something, right? It becomes more than a business. It actually becomes a movement in some way. Yeah, yeah, 100%. Well, and you touched on something that it seems, it's, it's interesting. We went through, uh, we took a, a small group of meerkats, which is what we call ourselves internally, through kind of a, a leadership development program um, by Pete Carroll and Dr. Uh, Michael Gervais. Uh, on just like mindfulness and, and, you know, how you can control your craft and your body. And, and it was interesting because we went through this whole exercise of building our personal philosophy, you know, not the, not the brand philosophy, but we've done that for Mir. We've done Mir's work of like, what is the brand philosophy? Right. But it was interesting because I realized I I sat there and I was like, very few people, I think if you stopped them on the street and you said, Hey, what's your personal philosophy? They, I don't think they'd have an answer. And I think maybe that's why there's so much reckoning and, and wrestling right now with civil unrest is that I think a lot of people don't know what they stand for in, in a very fundamental way, which is somewhat scary to think about. Uh, but then on the flip side, it was also not that complicated to just sit down and like map out what you believe in, you know? And I think that's what's so important about brands is now more than ever, brands are actually taking a stand and sharing what they value and they care about. And it's it, like you said, it makes it so clear and so easy to respond in the way that you feel or the way that you, the, the, along with your values. And we had somebody email in the other day who said, I think we had, um, 
we were doing this um, this giveaway for um, Rachel. Oh, uh, Cargill. Oh yes, the right, right. Yeah, 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 the the, the mm-hmm. year of rest or whatever mm-hmm. uh, for people who are supporting the civil uh, rights movement, especially within Black Lives Matter. Black Lives Matter, and and it was interesting because somebody said, "I wish you would just stay neutral and stay out of politics." And it was funny because we're like, yeah. "Guess what? There's lots of options in the drinkware market, so <laughs> you can go somewhere else if you don't like what we have to say." But it was interesting because. A, this is not political. It's becoming political, but it's like people are not politics. Like this is about real issues between people, irregardless of where you stand on the political spectrum. And But for us, it was so obvious that like, we didn't view this as like, are we gonna lose customers? Are we gonna gain customers? We viewed our responses, whether it was COVID or Black Lives Matter through our own value set. And once you establish that purpose statement, it becomes quite clear as to what you should do. Um, mm-hmm. So I just love that you like, obviously you've, you've done the work of, hard, hard, hard stuff of just starting it, but then also starting it with a really, really strong foundation of like, this is our purpose and this is what we believe. So this is how we're going to like view it through our lens. Uh, mm-hmm. So anyway, hats off. That's a long way of saying hats off to you for, for putting well, that, I mean, that purpose you know, statement out there. I, tip, tip the copy all <laughs> way as well, man. Cause that's, 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 that's what it is. You know, like again, having a sense of, of what it is you care about and not being too concerned about, listen, there, there's, there is no product. On, there's no product on earth that is loved by everybody, embraced by everybody university as incredible as you are, I might think it is. And I think um, not, not that, and just, just, just to be super clear, not that we're not striving for that. Do I want 10 to 1 to be enjoyed by everyone the world over? Of course I do, right? Yes. Every single person. Yeah. Um, definitely. Don't, don't, don't misconstrue what I'm saying. But the reality is if there's attrition along the way, because like um, if I have to choose between the conviction of, of, of my beliefs and therefore how that transits into how we operate as a company, if I have to choose between that and a customer who doesn't vibe with it, dude, like, yeah, I mean, you can go drink whatever else you want. It's not, it's not my problem. You know? yeah. Um, yeah, go get that pirate ship bottle. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. yeah. Whatever, whatever floats your boat. Yeah, literally. literally. You can do that. What's, do uh, that. what is it? I, I wonder who said this. Mm-hmm. If you try to be everything to everybody, you're nothing to nobody. Yeah. Sorry. Like somebody, who's, who's probably that? some Harvard marketing, marketing professor, I'm or, assuming. Or maybe it was, or maybe it was Socrates. I don't know. That's some sage that, wisdom right there. It is, you know, I mean, that, 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 that saying has traveled around the globe many a time, but some sayings travel that much for a reason because, I mean, it is mm. just true on a fundamental level, you know? Totally. We used totally. to say in the PepsiCo world that um, the opposite of love for your brand is not hate. It's actually apathy. Mm-hmm. And so like having a passionate response on either end of the spectrum, like isn't a terrible thing. And it, again, it helps yeah. to reconfirm your point of view. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Well, what's um, as we wrap up, what's what's been some of the, uh, your favorite moments so far in starting your own your your own business? You know, the, sec- the second one, you know, um, 10 to one. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I mean, in general, like. The, the, the dopest thing about starting a, a any consumer brand is that actually get a chance and, and you know this too like you, you get a chance to see people engage with your product and enjoy it like in real time you're like seeing somebody holding your product yes. and hopefully pouring some of my product into it and then like we kind of have this thing and we're making magic and we're doing the all right right we're yeah. doing some serious work but yeah like 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 seeing people enjoy it in real time and then take it and share it with someone else like just gives you real joy i mean to me those are those are always going to be the best moments when we had first launched the brand, uh, like literally, you know, I, I delivered the first couple of cases to our accounts when we, when we launched. I wanted to kind of be, that's a B part of the process. And, you know, you see the bottle on a shelf for the first time. And a couple of my boys were like, dude, that's so cool, bro. Like, you know, you, it's, it's like there, it's in the bar. Like, you yeah. must feel amazing. And I said, I was like, yeah, it's, that's pretty chill. But 
I feel like the moment when it's uh, the real holy shit moment, I'm not sure whether I can say holy shit on this podcast, but I'm it's all good. It's, it's cool. cool. Yeah. yeah. It's going to be, it's going to be when um, I'm sitting at a bar and somebody random just walks up to the bar and orders 10 to 1. Not, yes. not, not one of your friends, not the homie. It's just like somebody orders it. That you means know? That you actually happened. That's beautiful. That means you, yeah. I mean, it means you're on the way at least. On the way. And that actually happened um, maybe, it was, it was pretty soon after we launched, probably like three or four months after I was sitting in a bar in the East Village, kicking it with a friend of mine. And this dude just kind of walks in. He's like, I was sitting at the bar. He just kind of walks in right next to me and calls to the bartender and is like, Yo, can I get two 10 to 1 daiquiris, please? And like, you know, you have to do the whole double take. Like, yeah. what, what did that guy say? Sat down there listening to him. And, and, and you know, and he was, a, he was a fan of the brand because the bartender was like, oh, this brand's new. Like, how do you know it? He's like, oh, this brand's incredible. I tried it at the Nomad. Like, it's amazing. I actually met the founder. I was like, wait, but, I, but I'm the founder. Like, I'm, just, <laughs> I'm just sitting there, like, flying on the wall, <laughs> listening. I'm like, Dude, who's, who's, who's out there saying that they're the founder? Because that was kind of me. But anyway, we uh, ended up, I, I, I ended awesome. up chatting with him. Imitation. Um, it, it was me. Form of flattery. We, oh, it was you. Okay. It was actually me. We had, <laughs> we, had, we had met briefly when I was doing a tasting at the Nomad or something. But yeah, I mean, that was a really, really cool moment, you know? And you just kind of hope that there are going to be more of, those to, more of those to come. Those are, I would have to echo that. Those are the best moments where you see somebody you don't know who has your product yeah. or experiences it. And to you like to have the good experience too, because it's one thing to like to create it, to hold it. You're like, I've I've created something, and then to see in the marketplace that's beyond your friends, where other people are are using it and consuming it and, and enjoying it, and then the final step for me, which was like the the pinnacle, so to speak, of like engagement with customers, is that being that fly on the wall and then going up to them like cause it was interesting that there's there's like this uh when we used to fly back on on those things called airplanes um mm, back in the day. we yeah back in the day i would go through SeaTac and i'd say like over the last three years it would be like oh i i saw a couple you know i saw a ball here and there and then it was the last year it was like every time i went to the airport i saw multiple people with mirror product and it was just the coolest experience but then to go up to somebody in line and say, hey, that's a cool bottle and just leave it at that and see what they say, you know, and because and yeah. it's, it's kind of risky because you're like, what are they totally. you know, yeah. they're like, oh, this thing sucks, you know, or whatever it is. And they're like, oh, it's just a really cool brand. And they repeat it back to you. Oh, so and that's yeah. where you're like, I've yeah. arrived. A hundred percent. So when you get to go like be, be, when you get to do mystery shopping of your own product, you know, yeah. it's always, exactly. Always exactly. Yeah. Oh, that's that's good. I love it, man. Uh, yeah. Well, hopefully there's there's more bar interactions in our in our future indoors. Uh as, yeah, as we get over COVID one of these days. But yeah. I have some rapid, rapid fire questions for you. Uh, they're super fun. Don't overthink oh, right. them. Um, right. And I'm so excited for your answers because I think they're going to be mind blowing. Um, <laughs> no pressure. <laughs> no pressure. Exactly. No pressure. They're going to be the, they're going to be the worst ever. Now. <laughs> okay, that's that's no way. No way. Your track record suggests otherwise. Yeah, yeah exactly. All right. Uh, all right. So is it easier to go alone or together? Oh, hundred percent together. What is one belief? you hold that will never change? Ooh, uh, that, that, that I already said it earlier, but empathy conquers all. Mm, empathy conquers all. Mic drop, we can just stop there. No, no, right. why, why bother? <laughs> yeah, so you two questions, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, That was yeah, a crescendo, yeah. right? Yeah, that was a crescendo. Uh, <laughs> this one's a two part, so it's a blank for a blank. So don't sacrifice blank for blank. Uh, don't sacrifice uh, don't sacrifice profit for values. Mm. I would say don't sacrifice short-term progress for long-term gain. I mean, you can yeah, say yeah. either one, but they, re they really mean the same. Yeah, 100%. Name one activity you turn to when you need a bit of a reset. <laughs> 
yoga yoga love it mm-hmm. what which is, by the way yeah. i didn't i which by the way i'd never done until i moved to seattle and um uh um sharon and i had a um a, a close friend actually sharon's assistant called kim kim o'callahan who put me onto this yoga thing and like it was a it was a game changer for sure, you know? So I picked up a couple of little tricks along the you way. You can do handstands, right? Yeah, the, the, yeah, yeah Manny was saying you can do yoga handstands. Mm. I can. It's true. Nice. That is that is impressive. Very impressive. Uh, I love that. What is uh, what is one piece of knowledge you want to impart on the next generation? Wow. That's a good question. Which will be a while because you're still young. Yeah, ish, ish, ish. <laughs> ish. Oh, um, so much shit like you know like the whole standing on shoulders of others is really important as well um but you know what actually what what i would leave is um no matter what happens it'll all be okay and Mm. and 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 i say that because you know once you've like like for me when i when my first business didn't work out like like to, to me that was like the ultimate that felt like the ultimate failure it turns out that wasn't true and isn't true but it doesn't actually matter that's how it felt to me right and so like in a lot of ways it felt like the bottom of the abyss i talked about this whole crisis of confidence question um but to see what it's like when you get there and the fact that like your friends your family the people who care about you actually treat you the exact same way they don't care whether you won or lost that particular round they continue to believe in you and you know that coming out of the other side there's the opportunity to do more and do and do better do even greater I think it's a hard thing to process in that moment, but now having sort of lived it over the last five years, like it, it's, it's the single most important thing I'd probably share with another young aspiring entrepreneur or leader or whatever the case is, you know, like the disappointments will come, but I promise you, like no matter how dark that hole feels like, there is another side to it, right? Like the light does shine again. I think it's yeah. very important to know. Well, you're a great, you're definitely a great example of that. So that's, that's some, some sage wisdom from a youngish entrepreneur. Youngish. <laughs> awesome, Mark. It has been such a pleasure sitting down with you. I'm told that you have a reserve coming out this holiday season, November, December. Where can people pick up your tasty, tasty rum? Yeah, uh, thanks for reminding me about my own business. Should I sell <laughs> rum to people? So, um, what what are we talking about here? No, yeah, so yeah. Um, we we launched our e-com site a couple couple months ago. It's super awesome. The site is shop. 10 to onecom T-E-N-T-O-O-N-E. So it's all spelled out. Shop 10 to onecom um, You can get either a dark or a white rum on there. Free shipping, two bottles. Um, we, we ship to 43 or so of the states around the country. Um, the reserve we're super excited about. We're actually dropping it uh, in November. It's a 17-year-old single cask Trinidadian reserve rum. A little bit of another nod to the to the home country there too. Um, we'll do a limited release. It's only going to be a couple hundred bottles, so people need to look out for it and act fast. A um, couple um, releases on our e-com site, and then a few that'll be dotted around the country as well. So stay tuned for that. Awesome. I'm excited for that reserve. Are you excited, Mandy? No, so excited. Yeah. So excited. Can't, can't wait. It's going to be delicious. Yeah, we'll put it in some mirror, some mirror tumblers and Heck yeah. test yeah, you, Mark, exactly, on the other coast. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> photo shoot number two. We'll see what we can do. Right, yeah, exactly. 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 Awesome. Well, Mark, thanks so much for sitting down with us today, spending time, dropping that dropping that knowledge there are some real nuggets in here so thank you for all that you do and uh stoked to keep on the friendship yes uh same my brother honestly uh thanks so much for the time and for having me on really appreciate it great to chat with you ton of respect and admiration for what you have done and continue to do so keep on hustling and anything we can do to support um you know we're here to do it Mandy, awesome. you know, we're always so good. always a pleasure always, always. great to chat mm-hmm. for sure i'm, I'm so I'm so glad we agreed to not tell any um, 
embarrassing stories yeah. or whatever on here. We kept the truth. That's mm-hmm. great. And mm-hmm. we'll catch up soon. Yeah, sounds great. <laughs> Wonderful. All right, take care. Bye. All right, all right, guys. Thanks for tuning in. We will see you on the next episode.